Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. And now a word from Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is breadth and length and in height and in depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Our second lesson, <clears throat> excuse me, is 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 15, although we're going to read through most of chapter 11. Um, it is important. This is David and Bathsheba. We think we know the story and we know parts of it. But y'all just settle in, go with the story. We've got to get through these great characters and these events. So just sit back, listen, see it in your mind. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Listen again with fresh ears for the word of the Lord. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from a roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David 
Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, you have just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. <clears throat> In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. As Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew they were valiant warriors. The men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite was killed as well. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling the king all the news about the fighting, then if the king's anger rises, if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerubal? Did you not know a woman threw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead too. So the messenger went, came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. Then the messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, <clears throat> Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this matter trouble you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Press your attack on the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah had heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was a lot, I know. And a lot going on in there. A lot of pieces and parts. So if you've been with us this summer, we have been walking with David. We have been walking with young Israel as it had demanded a king in King Saul. Saul started well, then broke one of God's commandments to him. So we watched the rise of David from shepherd boy to being anointed and the demise of King Saul as he had broken one of God's commands. We saw him being anointed to be king while Saul was still king. Finally, Saul started to lose his mind. He tried to kill David several times. David survived. 
David continued to have military victory after victory. The women sang songs about Saul killing his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul became even more jealous and enraged. We saw the relationship between David and Saul's son, Jonathan, a special both personal and military relationship as Jonathan pledged himself to who he assumed would become king. Then Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. David laments. There's a lot of in between, but finally, as David comes back from a triumphant victory over the Philistines, he gets the ark that had been lying dormant, kind of out of view, brings the ark of the covenant, which symbolized the presence of God, and danced with his troops into Jerusalem, establishing Jerusalem as the new capital, establishing himself as king, establishing himself as God's chosen with the ark. It was a brilliant move. Remember, we talked about that day. David could not be beat. That was his height of power. That was his height of esteem, of faithfulness to God. Scripture goes out of, out of its way to tell us that David did everything right, meaning gave all the glory to God, relied on God in those moments, that all that David had achieved was because of God, rightly so. So then after God makes his covenant with David last week, we talked about that, we talked about one of the first mentions of grace, that God said, even though these kings are still beholden to the law, I'm making a covenant with your house, which I will never break. That word hesed, steadfast love, one of the best words in the Bible, God's steadfast love for us. So now we start to see that David is human like the rest of us, that David can make mistakes like the rest of us, and it goes poorly from David, for David, from this point on. He still does some amazing things. God still loves him. He still is able to be king. But from this point, because of this event today, and we'll get to some of this next week, his house starts to be in chaos. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. But today, so they're in the midst of fighting these Ammonites. Joab is his commander, Uriah, another one of his great leaders. They're all out there fighting. And for current reference, Ammon, Jordan, which is the capital of Jordan today, is, came from Ammon, came from these Ammonites in that, that place. So they're out fighting, they're conquering Still, with God's help, they are laying waste to everybody in their path. David's still riding on top. But he's not with them today. We don't know why that is. We don't know if he's become too important and powerful now as king to be there, although I doubt that. Their kings were military leaders, were always present. So whatever reason, David is at his home, in his palace that he has built and it's in the afternoon, David gets bored, 
goes out and walks around on his roof, surveying his kingdom, I guess. And lo and behold, what does he see? Bathsheba bathing. Now, the houses then were often structured kind of four rooms around a courtyard, and the baths were often taken in these courtyards, open air in the middle. Only David, because he was higher than everybody else, because his house was on the high point, would have been able to see down into, to be in that position, to see other people in this compromising position. So whatever the reason, David sees Bathsheba there, and bam, he is overwhelmed, he is caught, and as king says to himself, I have to do something about that. He makes inquiry as to her name. Messengers come, or his people come and say, well, that's Bathsheba. Uriah the Hittite's wife, which is interesting because we don't see that there's any connection like they knew each other before. But Uriah and Bathsheba's father, Eliam, were in what David, what, what Samuel calls his 30, his 30. It was like his special forces. It was like his army rangers. There was an elite group of fighting soldiers that served him called the 30. Scripture talks about it. Uriah was one of those. Bathsheba's father was one of those. And Bathsheba's grandfather, Ahithophel, thank you, was David's chief advisor. So how could David not have known Bathsheba? Don't know, maybe she just never entered into any of that, but, or it may have just been that David isn't used to seeing her naked. Said, who, who is that? So David sends his messengers to go and get her. They do, they bring her, and they are together. After that, not too long, she sends, or she, she speaks and says to David, I'm pregnant. Then we move to cover up phase. David tries twice to get Uriah, calls from him from off the front lines, comes back. He says, go hang out with your wife, relax. And Uriah doesn't do it. He refuses. He says, the ark, all of Israel, all of the soldiers, all of my friend, all of this, all these war is going on. How can I justify sleeping in my home with my wife when they are in peril, sleeps with the servants at the gate? David says, okay. So the next day, stay one more day, and then I'll send you back to the fighting. So this time, the next day, he gets him intoxicated, thinking it would be easier to get him to go home to be with Bathsheba so that the pregnancy might look like his. And again, a similar thing. He lays with the servants and refuses to go home. So now things get really bad. David writes a message to send by Uriah himself. Take this to Joab, David says, just a little message. Send up there, give it to him. And it says to Joab, put Uriah on the front 
where there's the most fighting and have the rest of the, the soldiers pull away from him so that he'll be struck down and killed. And he does, and he was. So Uriah is now dead. This little interplay between the messenger that comes and clearly in order to kill Uriah, they had to pull some kind of ineffective military stunt to get him up there. They were where they shouldn't have been, but that's where Joab needed Uriah for him to be killed. So he says to the messenger, if David asked what you were doing up there, what was our plan? Why were we so close to the wall when it's so dangerous? Tell him, and Uriah died also. Wink, wink. So then after that, after the proper mourning, which Bathsheba does, she then becomes David's wife, and they wind up having several children together. So that's the quick summary. The story is a mess. It's awful. There's nothing good in it. Well, always something good in it. But David here pulls this 180 from being at the height of his faith, his connectedness with God, to pure, selfish temptation, pure, murderous cover-up. And it wasn't just Uriah. There were other men who died around Uriah as a part of this cover-up. Other good soldiers who had nothing to do with this. And Uriah himself, a great soldier, again, a member of this elite 30 that Samuel talks about. So at the heart of it, what's going on? Well, temptation is what's going on. What was Bathsheba's role? And it's hard because we, we're, we're not told exactly what was going on. There are not a whole lot of emotions or motivations as a part of the story. We get facts. Here's what happened. We don't know a lot of the why. Why was David out at that part of the afternoon when people were normally before sunset ritually bathing, which is what she was doing. She was ritually cleansing herself. Was it her fault? Was she the tempstress? And poor David, out taking a break from his kingly tasks, looks over and she is seducing him. Again, it's possible, but I don't think so. Why? Because of the, the verbs, because of the language used, David sent and, in our translation today, it says the messengers sent them to go get her. Most other translations say took. Took is the word. Is that against her will or is it with her consent? And we don't know. I read so many varying accounts that it was Bathsheba's fault, that Uriah never paid her any attention because he was out to war. Why wouldn't he go home and be with his wife if he really loved her? You know, all that ridiculous speculation. The language supports more that David took what he wanted rather than Bathsheba consented. But again, we don't know 
for sure. But that word took, and I did some study on that just to make sure, means what it means. Doesn't say he invited her for tea. Doesn't say, come on over and let's talk a little bit. It must be hard with Uriah being up in the front. He took her. And afterwards, Bathsheba doesn't stay if she was trying to play to him and cultivate this relationship. It says she returned right away to her home. They didn't stay and visit and have lunch or dinner. It looks bad for David. It looks as if Bathsheba was more the victim than David, the victim of her seduction. Either way, Scripture never says anything derogatory about Bathsheba. It is David who is directly convicted by the last phrase, the last verse. And David did what was, it was displeasing in the eyes of the Lord. Didn't say David and Bathsheba, said David. David is at issue here. He abused his power as king, even if she consented. He abused his power as king. He murdered Uriah and several other soldiers in his command. Covered it up. It is not a fun story. Temptation is one of those things that we know we face every day. Temptation comes in a variety of forms. It comes in a variety of ways. It's a story about a little boy who just wants this beautiful brand new 10-speed bicycle. So he's saving every penny, every nickel, every quarter. And at night he gets on his knees and says his prayers, Lord, please help me get enough money so I can buy my new 10-speed. And Lord, also please stop sending the ice cream truck down my street every day. Why? A whole lot harder to plan and save for the 10-speed than it was to give in to the temptation of the ice cream truck. Another story from Reader's Digest about a a man, businessman, who thought he was becoming overweight and wanted to do something about it, become healthier. So he literally rerouted his road to work every day so he wouldn't pass the bakery that often got him in trouble. Anybody? No. Don't raise your hands, just in your mind. Been there, been there. So one morning he comes in with his giant coffee cake and all of his coworkers say, hey, I thought you were doing such a great job. You're losing weight. You're doing, I thought you had given up that kind of stuff. He said, this is a special cake. He said, I just accidentally went by the bakery and saw this massive, delicious, amazing coffee cake in the front. And I decided to pray to God. And I said, God, if I'm supposed to have this coffee cake, let me find an open space in front of the bakery. And don't you know it? The eighth time around the block, there was the space. We've all been there. We play games with ourselves with temptation in small ways and in large ways. 
Sometimes giving in to those temptations don't cost us anything more than a a few calories here or there, maybe a few dollars here or there. But sometimes the cost is drastic, as it was in David's case. So easy for us to be tempted by so much, again, every day. One preacher talked about it in terms of a, like a street lamp, street light, signal light, red, yellow, green. Red is the danger zone. Bad stuff happens there. Green is where we hope we're living. Good things happen in there, but we often live in the yellow, that caution. Because at any time, we could go red or we could go green, depending on the day, the particular temptation. We fight it every day day. David here doesn't hardly think twice. He is overcome with lust for this beautiful woman and does not think of the consequences. I will not ask a show of hands for how many have been in the similar vein of thought, because we all have. Maybe not watching another person taking a bath, but the idea of that quick decision where we know or we do something we know we shouldn't or we do something we know is going to have some consequences, but we either play games with ourselves, we justify it, or we just say, you know what, I'll, I'll pay the price. And so often for those bigger temptations, the price is not just yours to pay. Often it is those who love you, whom you love in your life, other relationships, your job, perhaps, your co-workers, your family, extended family. Because what is temptation? What's wrapped up in that? Gosh, so much. Whether that's materialism, got to have the stuff, so I got to work myself to death so I have more than the neighbor, or I'm appearing as though I'm solid in life from my stuff. I got to be posting all the proper so everyone knows how perfect my family is. So you spend time, effort, and money and take the one second out of your miserable vacation for everybody to smile and look happy, and that's the one you post. Those of you that are married know the temptations that come fairly regularly, whether that's a friend down the street in the club and the volunteer organization you serve at work. Very much we don't want to put the effort and time into what we know we need to. Sometimes we just rather cut and run and give in. All of those are symptoms of larger things going on. Those who are addicted to a variety of things or to anything are addicted because it's symptomatic of something else going on inside of them. And they act out, they try to distract themselves, they get lost in something that then overtakes them. All of that is temptation. We live in a culture where sexuality is a part of everything that we see, hear, Almost every aspect of media, whether that's television, movies, uh, music, sexuality is pervasive. 
And it is a gift from God, but what we've been sold is that that's the only way and it has to be like this to be healthy. We, we know better than the Hollywood reality. All it does is a disservice to us, our culture, our community, our children, who then have to live up to these standards of what we look like or no one will love us. We pretend in a lot of ways all temptation. So easy for the grass is greener syndrome as David quickly gave into. And he was already married to multiple people. He had multiple wives and concubines. How much is enough? For the king, we're never satisfied. For many of us, we are never satisfied. Hopefully those things happen in smaller ways if you are addicted to Amazon and midnight, middle of the night shopping, whether you go to other places on the computer that you think does no harm to you, but it does to you and your relationships, whether it is that power that David wields, in this case, so destructively. All of us wield some of that or at time to time have access to it. So hard, so hard. every day we're in that yellow. Sometimes we hit the red, sometimes we hit the green. And again, from this point on, this is what changes our relationship with David. But the good thing is right before this, God just said, my grace will always be with you. My love will always be with you. Even though kings will make mistakes and break my law. David broke at least five of the 10 commandments. And God still loves him and uses him. Even if we're all in the, the all 10 club, God still loves us and will use us the same way that God used David. Well, how do I fight temptation? How do I do that? Well, depending on what it is, you stop. David could have had this, had this off at several places. The first time he saw her, he could have stopped and said, oh, 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 my mistake, sorry. Just went back inside. Could have been it. Secondly, when he found out who it was, and he knew at least three men associated with Bathsheba that were close aides, confidants, and soldiers to him, he could have said, oh, no, I gosh, I... These are, these are my guys. I can't, I can't mess with them. He could have stopped there, but he didn't. And after she became pregnant, he could have said, I, I could have just stopped there and put it on the table. He's still king. Still has and wields ultimate power. God still may have been with him at this point. But then had to kill Uriah and then bring her over as wife. What can we do? What could he have done? He could have stopped and asked for God's help anywhere in that process. We see temptation coming much of the time. Sometimes we get hit and we're blindsided and we make a poor decision. If it's that coworker, the opposite gender, we're slowly drifting toward them and we feel that emotional connection and we're starting to think, gosh, why would my wife or husband like that, more like that? 
And then you spend more time with that. You see it coming. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You don't have to stop being friends with those people, but when you start to feel yourself in some different waters, starting to be attracted to these other people, you know it's time to stop, ask God for help, pull back, and go home and work on whatever it is that you got to work on. It's more often than not, these quick decisions are because something isn't going well at home. It's hard, I know. whole lot easier to think that this person I don't know that much about is that perfect person. I'm getting from them what I don't get from my partner. They're encouraging me. I don't get that at home. I feel like they're loving me. I can't. It's dangerous. Dangerous. There's a story from, I read about uh, three burglars in Norway they went to rob a big safe in a little factory. And so they put all their explosives on the outside of the safe, and they go to the next room to blow the door, and boom, it explodes, demolishes the whole building, and they're trapped under the rubble. As it turned out, the cash wasn't kept in the vault. It was kept in a cash box in an unlocked desk in the same room, But what the vault contained was the product of that company, nitroglycerin. That explodes. So often the access to what we want is right there and available and accessible, and we go to great lengths to blow ourselves up for the wrong reasons. Not that there's a good one. These guys could have gone to the desk, picked up the money, and gone. So often we want the easy way out in our difficult relationships. Like the little boy, we want to just have the money, don't have the discipline to put time and effort into it. David was the king. He could take what he wanted. That was the time. That was the culture. She couldn't say no even if she wanted to. And so temptation is something that mostly we can fight. Just because we're tempted, it doesn't mean we're sinful. Who else was tempted? Jesus. Jesus was tempted. Remember in the wilderness, Luke 4, Matthew 4, by the devil 3, he was tempted. Being tempted is not the sin. It's acting on it. I saw an interview with the late, great Billy Graham one time, and he was being interviewed, and they asked him, well, how do you sin like other people sin? And he said, of course I do. He said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the sidewalk, I may think the same thing that you think, but I don't act on it. Thinking it and acting on it are different. Now, there's some cleanup to do mentally, internally sometimes, but the action is where it all falls apart. So when we find ourselves in these places, Step away. Pray to God then and there. Not in a, oh, Lord, help me, here we go. But more in a, Lord, God, help me. I I feel like I'm being sucked into this, and it is destructive. I need your help. I need your guidance. Pray, pray, pray. We always forget to pray. 
and step away. See the bigger picture. The best physically intimate encounter in the world is not worth the destruction of your life. It simply isn't. Don't give in to it. Because they're telling you that's what success is and that's what you have to have. We work. Marriage is hard. Relationships are tough. Times they go great and times they are awful. We know it. But through it all, you don't give up and you go back and you work because that is the better payoff. Sometimes it doesn't work out and relationships end. There are good and solid reasons for that. So be aware of those temptations, those triggers that can get you in trouble and your family and your job and your surroundings and your church. We love you and support you no matter what. That's what church is. We are a collection of awful sinners, you and me. And God loves us anyway. And we love one another primarily because we know we are all unworthy and we make mistakes. But God is always there to seek to bring us home, to reconcile us, forgive us, give us new life. Come on, people, that is joy. That is great news. So as we go from here, know, as David needed to know, and maybe this was a reminder that God is in charge. David did not ascend on his own, but he forgot God in his life for that moment, and it affected his household every day after. We'll talk some more about that next week. Know that temptation is a part of all of us every day. We're in that yellow caution zone. Work hard to stay out of the red. Sometimes we will fail. But when we are open and honest about those failings, if David had been early, he would have avoided that whole second part of the misery and the death and the cover-up. Have courage, stand up, take and face what you got to take and face. And then you can work your way through it. God is with us like God was with David. Let us have the courage and the power through his glory. Hallelujah. Amen.